welcome to Sports, Clicks, and Politics with your hosts, Ben Husson and me, Sean Hannon. Welcome to episode 29 of Sports, Clicks, and Politics. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Husong. Thank you for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. How was your weekend? It was wonderful. How about you? Uh, weekend was uneventful, just the way I like it. That's good. Um, I think our Friday interview was pretty excellent that we're going to go through uh, later in the show here Absolutely. today. Absolutely. It got the weekend started off on the right foot. Very informative. I thought uh, Assemblyman Selka allowed us to kind of ask some medical questions with his background and then apply them to uh, how we're handling it at New York State. So uh, stay tuned for that later in the show. That'll end the show with the uh, Assemblyman Selka's uh, interview. I think it's about 45 minutes, so... Um, other than that, your Bills had a pretty good, uh, what was it, Saturday they played, right? Oh, baby. Big weekend for the Buffalo Bills. Did you, did you order your AFC championship hat on uh, your Sports Illustrated like football yet? I mean, I'm not that guy, but no. So I, I didn't order any of that, but I am thrilled by Congratulations. this Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, listen. I mean, we, d- we talked early on that this was a likely scenario, right? right? All, you don't understand the pain of being a Bills fan for the last 20 years. I, I don't think anybody really can. Like, Browns, Lions, yeah, I get it. But, listen, the Bills have this knack for coming up and giving you hope and then in just the most awful way imaginable. Imagine you're a Falcons fan, but for 17 seasons this keeps happening. Like, your upside is maybe we can go 9-7 and seven and sneak into the playoffs. That's all you're hoping for. There's nothing else. You got to sit through J.P. Loesman. Uh, what was the other one? First Trent round Edwards. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the highlight of Bills quarterbacks for about a 15-year period of time. I am not making that up. And I don't think people really grasp what the Bills mean to the city of Buffalo. Because let's just be frank, the city of Buffalo is not big enough to warrant having its own NFL team. It is basically the largest small town you could ever live in. But the Bills are such an integral part of the community. I mean, they won that game. And they got back into town at like 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And there were over a 1,000 fans at the airport standing outside in the 10-degree weather just to cheer for these guys as they walked off the plane. Like, that's what this team means to that city. It is unbelievable. It's It's so thrilling. And for once, it was a, wow, we might actually do this. Like, the closest they came before this was I think it was 2004. No, this wasn't the championship. This was to make the playoffs. Just to give you an idea of, of the heartache of being a Bills fan. The Buffalo Bills need a win in Week 17 to make the playoffs. That's it. Week 17, they're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers had already clinched their playoff spot and their home game. So they started their backup quarterback. And they didn't start any of their premier players. Bills still managed to lose that game and miss the playoffs. And you're just sitting there as a fan going... I mean, why, why does God hate us? Like, what, what did we do here? Well, I did see a, uh, a Facebook group uh, that started a Super Bowl 50 or whatever it is, Super Bowl parade. Sure. So I was oh, going to invite you. That. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if you already jinxed yourself and joined yeah, that parade. Yeah, probably. Okay, but well. it, I mean, what are you going to do? And listen, it, the fans are amazing. I mean, is listen, Andy Dalton, the, when they finally broke the playoff, uh, the playoff drought, Andy Dalton threw a pass against the Baltimore Ravens to beat them on New Year's Eve, and that got the Bills into the playoffs, which admittedly they didn't deserve to get in the playoffs that year, but that got him in. And Bills fans went out and donated $17 to represent the 17 years of the playoff drought 
to Andy Dalton's for foundation. And then they raised like $100,000, just people donating 17. This year, Josh Allen's grandmother passed away. And the same thing, all the Bills fans came out and donated $17 to O'Shea Children's Hospital to get a wing named after. Like, I, the connection between, I, I, I get I'm biased, I haven't lived in all these other towns, but it's unbelievable to watch, especially as someone who really, really loves the Bills, but I'm not at that level. Like, I'm not living and dying every day by this, and I sort of remain like, it's football, it's fun. This is different in this town, and I'm, I couldn't be happier for them. It's so fun to watch them finally be good. Even in the game against Denver, they got backed up like three penalties in a row from first and goal in the five. So it was first and goal from the 22. And a buddy of mine texts me. He's like, this is the weirdest feeling because I just think Josh is going to figure this out and they're going to score a touchdown. Sure enough, come in and get the touchdown. And you're going, all right, this is an unusual feeling for Bills fans. We're not used to being able to rely on things going well. Still going to take some time to adjust. Yeah, like I said, I, I lived briefly in Buffalo during one of the Super Bowl years. So... Uh, the second cowboy, whatever the Thurman Thomas helmet game was, that one. So, um, what? <laughs> that's a thing. <laughs> like I, that's a, that is a Bills fan right there. We were in the. I think that was the Giants one actually. Okay. We're our star running back, like the the heartbeat of the team, the most talented player outside of the quarterback, comes out of halftime and cannot find his helmet. Like that actually happened. And the Bills fans, we just went. Eh. Like, it wasn't even surprising. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. So, like, I kind of got to experience it as a, you know, as a football fan, but not as a Bills fan to watch the city kind of embrace the team. And that's obviously when they were in their heyday, <clears throat> the Kelly Gunn and all that group there. So, um, they moved up to number three in my top five or power I, five or whatever we're calling I, it these listen, days. Listen, I think that's a fair ranking for them right now. Um, I think... They might be the second best team. Um, I think the Packers I have as number two. I don't think there's any dispute that the Chiefs are number one. They beat the Saints, who, <clears throat> in all reality, I thought played really good and still just didn't have enough. Just so, a couple couple key mistakes. That was it. That was the difference in the game. And there, but I remember initially uh, Romo commented on this, exactly the same thing I was thinking when he said it. So I feel good about myself. Was I felt like the Saints played like the best series of defense that I possibly could have seen against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs still scored a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> I think they sacked him twice. Like, they knocked him down. They hurt. He was scrambling. All the, he just kept completing passes. So um, they have tons of weapons, and obviously they have the best weapon in the league in Mahomes. Um, they're the team to beat. Uh, sure. Like I said, I, you know, the AFC, I do think the Bills, because of Allen's just ability to, to, to make the big play, can, can compete but they're going to need their defense to play, you know, their Better. best game of the year. So, um, like I said, I have the Steelers number five, and I have the uh, Saints number four, so I just kind of flip-flopped the, uh, the the Saints down. Um, but they're still – I think they're still one of the best teams. They got uh, their quarterback back, and their defense, again, looked really good. Um, I don't know. I'm excited for the NFL playoffs. Um we briefly talked about fantasy football. You you eliminated this year. Nothing, nothing going I got, on. This is the first year. I got nothing. I'm, uh, I'm losing to the girl. Well, she's the girl's also in first place. In she's in first place, so I'm losing to the first place girl. You misogynist. But, um, Good God. Yeah. So I need this. I need my Steelers to. I got three Steelers in my lineup tonight, so I'm going to need them to uh, kind of make it happen for me. So yeah, I made two bad gambles early in the year. Number one is I drafted Miles Sanders in the first round, which seemed like a reasonable bet, but that backfired in a big way. And the other one was I used Devin Singletary as my 
fill-in back because I could go heavy on wide receivers and get serviceable production. And then uh, Brian Dabble decided he hates running backs and he will neither let them run the ball nor throw them the ball. What if Josh Allen hates running backs and he's just like, screw you guys, I'm going to run the ball know. myself. Like, it, oh, okay, I mean, well, they, actually, gonna... they actually, I mean, doesn't McKenzie have a rushing touchdown? Yeah. Listen, Man. they're going to block. Like, the dude's 5'80", weighs a buck 80. But you got him in here blocking? I don't know. But listen, whatever they're doing is working. I'm not actually criticizing it. I'm just laughing at my my ingenious philosophy going into this sounds year. sounds like you're going, a homer. No, normally I avoid bills like the plague. I don't. I, this year I made a mistake on that one, too. I should have gotten Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. Like, I should have taken any bill that I was on offense that I could have. Yeah. It would have worked out better. Yeah. Who knew Josh Allen was going to figure out how to throw 70% completion instead of 59. So I I know they're not in your top five anymore, but Jalen Hurts seems legit. Jalen Hurts. uh, I listen again. It's way too early to say that. I'm always of a you need four weeks. Show me what you could do after four weeks and there's game film on you. But I right now, the immediate eye test, if we're going to have like an overreaction Monday. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a different team. With him under center versus Carson Wentz, it no is oh no doubt it is a different team. Yeah, 50, only fifty nine hundred on DraftKings this weekend. Probably the value play of the uh, week. So was yeah, it? Cash me in. Yeah, no. there you go. See, smart move. Yeah. Um, if if Taquan Smith didn't get hurt in the first half of the Saints game and just got I don't know two or three catches, it would have been a really really nice day. But anyway, still was a good day. Tough day for you. Um, what about the bottom? So the Did, bottom. Let me just preface this by saying the Jets are still the worst team in the league and as a Bills fan this was like the ideal weekend because the Bills clinched the AFCs for the first time in 25 years the Patriots were eliminated from the playoffs for the first time and I think it was 17 years which is ridiculous and it was done by the Dolphins so I'm, I'm even more happy that that knife got twisted into Belichick a little bit and the Jets screwed up their chances to get Trevor Lawrence <laughs> this was in a meaningless a game it was the, like you couldn't have asked for a better outcome this weekend and the Jaguars did their part and lost so as I'm going through the bottom five, listen. The- Real quick before we do that, they were talking about who gets the first pick, and they mentioned, I, don't, I didn't look this up because they were, just seemed so sure of it, but they said Jacksonville would get the first pick because they had a weaker strength of schedule. Correct. Doesn't that seem backwards? No, if, because if you and I play the same schedule, but you played harder teams and we got to the same record, your team is better than mine. Because I played worse teams and still couldn't win. I guess. That's the, that's okay. the rationale. Okay, okay. So, yes, uh, Jacksonville is is on pace right now, as long as they don't screw it up by winning a game, to have the number one overall pick. Not that I think they're ready to move on from Gardner Minshew or anything, but they just might take Trevor Lawrence. He'll screw it up and win. I Somebody will, and I can't I'm going to laugh when they both end up like going 2-0 and the rest of the way. Anyways, the Jets are still the worst team in the league. They had a great game. I'm very happy for Frank Gore and a couple other guys on that team, Sam Darnold. Uh, I'm even happy that Adam Gates just or Adam Gates gave the middle finger to the entire organization by winning this meaningless game and calling them Trevor, costing them Trevor Lawrence before he exits stage left an hour after the final game concludes. Uh, the Jaguars are the second worst team, though. Like they are. They're impressively bad. Their defense is terrible. I, like they shouldn't even go out. I, I don't know why they bother sending them out. Like just they should try to negotiate with their team. Like if we give you three points, can we just skip this part of the game and we'll we'll move on? Uh, every single time they probably have better outcomes. Uh, the next worst team I'd still have is the Bengals. Uh, the the Bengals are not good. I I don't have a better way of saying this. They need Joe Burrow. Uh, like as much as any team possibly depends on one person, the Bengals depend on Joe Burrow. Wish him a speedy recovery. The fourth worst team in the league is the uh, Houston Texans. 
Their defense is also horrible. Yeah, and that was a creative way to lose a football game this weekend. Just, you know, charging down to tie the game and fumble the ball right into the end zone. Uh, it was amazing. I mean, I'm I'm kind of happy I got to see it, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I've never seen that happen before. But it, it was, um, what's the right way of saying this? It was it was fantastic. Like, wow, that's a, as a Bills fan, like, I get it. And, and don't worry, one day you'll laugh about it, too. Um and then the the next worst team, I I'm, I feel a little uneasy about this. And there's a lot of candidates. Like the Lions are a train wreck. Uh, the Bears really aren't as good as their record would indicate. Obviously, the NFC East is still very underwhelming. I, I'm actually leaning towards the 49ers. I think the Falcons are the worst. I'm team. sorry. You know what? You and you're right. You're right. It's the Falcons. I've been riding the Falcons are the terrible most worst team, and the, they just find every week they just find a way, different way to lose. So why not just give them the Yeah, I'm going to update it. It's the Falcons. Just give them the title. My God, they uh, – it's not even that they're bad. That's that's the issue I always have with the Falcons. They're a good team. They, yeah, they have players. Right, and it's just the most creative ways to lose football games. They need a shakeup. Ever. I just so, don't understand how you – every time you get these nice big leads, and then you're like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. Just hand them the ball. Yeah. No, the hell with that, it. They're just creative losers. So Yeah. Um, so that's how the bottom five works yeah. out. My Steelers play the Bengals tonight, so hopefully uh, they, they better not the, lose this stay, game. <laughs> they stay in the bottom five for your uh, bottom five next week. I mean, um, my God. Yeah, and then we got a Friday game, Christmas Day game. I can't remember who's playing, but be, be aware that there's a Friday uh, football game this week. And you know what else is this week? No. The NBA makes its return. I did know that. Tuesday, tomorrow. We got two games tomorrow, then a full slate on Wednesday. Um we got Christmas, uh, I think a handful of Christmas Day games as well on Friday. So um, I know you're not an NBA fan per se. Uh, I am a fan of NBA DraftKings for sure, but I think the product is good. I think there's a lot of good players. I mean, I understand why people or many people don't watch it, um, but watching the players and then trying to watch a college basketball game, you can appreciate the difference of the games. Um, I know this is a college basketball town and most people live and die by college basketball, but the level of play is just night and day compared to what these guys can do. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for my uh, adopted uh, favorite team, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, and my boy Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic. And seeing if they can uh, build on whatever they were, you know, last year they kind of had some uh, um, injuries from from Kristaps and they kind of shuffled some things around. But I think they're a team to, to watch. And listen, I, I think the Brooklyn Nets are fun going to be, you know, like with Durant and Kyrie. I mean, that's a team that we don't even know what to expect. And then you got, you know, the Zion Williamson freak of nature down in New Orleans. So yeah, Houston, I don't know. who you even know who's going to be on the team yet. <laughs> and and like I said, you get Steph Curry back, and the, you know who, what's going to happen with yeah. the Warriors. So it's I, you know it'll be a good season. Um, you know the NBA just has a bunch of good players now. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited. Like so, I said, I I like to play uh, a lot of DraftKings, so it's a it's a a, a new fantasy season for me to kind of participate in there you go and i am uh what i would say is a casual fan and i might be stressing the word casual to even say that in it it's nothing like i just don't have a vested rooting interest in in the league or in the sport when i do watch it's listen if you're gonna say like college basketball is is better for whatever reason no it's not and i get the complaints about like oh well these guys don't even play defense well, I, 
How do you stop? They don't play defenses. The other guys are such good offensive players. Right? Like, how do you stop these guys? Who's going to be the guy? Like, oh well, Bill Lambeer. Like, Bill Lambeer wouldn't even be in the league right now. Who are you kidding? The guy literally all he was good. I didn't want to say that. Bill Lambeer is actually one of my favorite NBA players ever. He was a good player. He was a good player with sharp elbows, and he didn't care. Like, he would walk up and punch you in the face, and then look there. I feel like what? Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't have the body to compete. No, and these guys now they're just so. There was no guy like LeBron James, six foot nine. 255 pounds point guard yeah like these guys just didn't exist you i don't i get the idea and i listen i do prefer the old version of basketball where there was much more passing but listen the analytics are what they are they they are more successful doing it this way and and this is the product and these guys are unbelievably talented what they are able to do is just ridiculous i find it to be sometimes fun to watch but listen i grew up in upstate new york i don't have a, a vested rooting interest in any of these teams and i get the nba is very star driven and and that's what they want to do they want to sell lebron they want to sell luca they want to sell chris paul they want like the big names great what that does it comes at the cost of if i'm like uh i'm a buffalo bills fan and i know the players come in and out but i'm always cheering for the bills and i'll keep tuning in the nba was like oh i like cleveland they got lebron what a great story and then like oh he's going to miami now back to cleveland i was going to la and it was like I mean, good for him. I, I don't. I don't begrudge you that. God bless you. It just it, it sort of makes me like. All right. I think whatever. that makes me. It's easier for me to watch because I'm not. I'm not rooting for anything because I, I don't have a team. Like I don't. I right. don't really root for a team. I don't have a team that I follow. Um, I follow the games that are on TV. Any games that I have players that are in my DraftKings lineups, I'll try to watch. But um, I'm not rooting for a team that allows me to watch any game all the time. I just watch the plays and watch the players and just I kind of you. like it and just uh, enjoy it, I guess. So, um, but I'm excited. It'll be fun. Um, like I said, it's kind of a weird. Uh, usually they start in October. Here we are. Obviously they ended in probably October. I don't even remember when now. So, um, how's your Ethereum doing? Awesome. <laughs> Bitcoin hit an all time high, twenty four three. I own so. Chainlink now, too. Oh, wow. You're diversifying? That's right, buddy. Diversifying. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever owned any of that, so you're what? You're, don't you're worry. The, I'll, you're I'll, the, you're I'll the Chainlink expert now. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get you involved. Um, um, we'll keep yeah. that going up. I don't know. It's interesting. Like I said, I you know, there's everybody now. It's in uh, Uncharted Waters or uh, Price Discovery, I think, is the official term. So um, we'll see what happens. I don't know. The price is, is what it is, and it just keeps going up. Also, we, we didn't really touch on this because it happened the day after our show, too, but the uh, attorney general resigned here from the uh, Washington there, Bill Barr. Eh. Yeah. I mean, I I think that was kind of expected, I think, to some degree. Um, at least yes. it was hinted at. Um, it he's was, come it under, was inevitable. You know, the, you know, the president kind of attacked him a little bit for holding back on the Hunter Biden stuff and uh, among other things. But um, so I don't know. Interesting that we didn't really cover that when we were there. Um, and also right up my alley, Jean-Luc Brunel, the uh, Brunel. model in the agency who uh, was scout. a former business partner uh, with uh, our favorite pedophile, Jeffrey Epstein. Can we ease up on language like our favorite pedophile, like there's a list or something? Can we like world's most renowned maybe? Sure, that works better probably. Thanks. Sorry. I'm like, I don't Sorry. think I need that list going around. Like, who's your favorite so pedophile? He's, he's, he's arrested in France. He is accused of basically kind of being the male version of Jelaine Maxwell, right? So procuring girls, um, underage girls um, for Jeffrey Epstein and whatever Jeffrey Epstein needed to do with those girls. So um, another one bites the dust here a little bit. Uh, I already started the Brunel didn't kill himself hashtag. So you guys can just share that along. Um, I don't know. I'm glad when these guys go down. I know that most people don't think that's ever going to get to the top. And I probably tend to agree with them. But let's take out everybody we can. 
I I don't disagree at all. If I read this correctly, he was uh, he even gifted some of these. We say underage girl children. Like children. he gifted some of these children Kids. to to the to uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Like this is unthinkably heinous of what this man has done and these people that enabled him and participated with him and everything else. Listen, nobody wants to see the names on the list because I guarantee you there's people on there that you have liked for a long time and you shouldn't. These are horrific people for what you would be willing to do to a child is just, uh, it's unthinkable. Yeah. So good. Let him go to prison. Yeah, I don't even go. care when he gets suicided. Yeah, I, he seems kind of like the weasel type that might squeal. That's my fingers crossed hope. So he's definitely going to suicide. Right. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So. And I listen, I don't wish death on anybody. I just look, you're uh, how much sleep do you, you want me to lose at night over yeah, you? None. With the, with the you don't have to wish it upon him, even if it happens. Right. But we're all going to die eventually. It's a design flaw of our species. Yeah. It so. was made before I came around. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, and we touched on this only because it came on as we were going on the air last year, and, and nothing has happened since, but there's still been discussions of uh, the president pardoning Julian Assange, uh, pardoning Edward Snowden, um, and pardoning Ross Albright. All those three are in the news almost daily about being considered for a pardon. So um, nothing has happened since the, the last time we were on the air, and that was kind of breaking um, while we were on the air, but it still has not, nothing official yet anyway. So we're still uh, waiting on on that. Um I would anticipate that he does it. I think so. I mean, there's. It seems as there's enough smoke, right? Yeah, um, and not only that, it seems like did you it see would the, be did you see the his... Assange tape with uh, Project Veritas? Yeah, where he called the State Department. He called the the Clinton State Department and said, "Hey, you know, there's some information that has been hacked from you guys, and I want to let you know about it and try to protect it from coming out." So all of the people who were, you know, accusing him of. Uh, uh, purposely giving information and trying to hurt uh, uh, with blood on his hands because he uh, killed people, uh, he's done the exact opposite. So hopefully he is one of uh, at least those three uh, uh, pardons. So I'm looking forward to that if it does happen. Now, with uh, Chelsea Manning, yeah, she, they, I don't know the pronoun, I think it's she. she yeah. Okay, so she um, she wasn't pardoned, but she, did she have her sentence commuted? So she got out, I believe, under the Obama administration. Yeah, I thought so too. And then I believe she went back in again because she wouldn't cooperate after ah, the fact. I'd have to look that up okay. to be specific. Yeah, I'm not sure of that so one. So there could be something there for her to also be exonerated for. I'm not sure what the second thing. I'd have to double check what that was. But I feel like she, she was definitely out. Yeah. Um, she ran for office. Um, and then... It's a shame she didn't win. She never would have gone back. <laughs> and then... Um, she went back in for something, and I can't remember exactly what it was, for not cooperating, I feel like. But her original one was feeding information to Assange, right? Right. So she downloaded information okay. onto, a, uh, onto a disc, like a Lady Gaga disc, I think it was, and awesome. just took it, took it out of the building and then, yeah, handed it over to... God, our security is incredible in this country. <laughs> so... So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen her name brought up in the discussion, but if there's something out there, you know, again, I have to double check and see what that second, um, why, why she went in a second time if she is. But Yeah, we'll look um, it up. We'll talk about yeah, it next week. Yeah. Hopefully by then we've got Yeah, maybe we'll have some news by then to actually talk about it. So, there you go. Um, we wanted to talk about, uh, you. well, Ben specifically wanted to talk about, this is where Ben makes us smarter a little bit, I think. Um, you wanted to talk about asymptomatic spread, right? So there was this new, oh, there was this new uh, report came out um, basically trying to um, 
find asymptomatic spread. So it kind of looked at a bunch of different studies. It kind of went back through some of this other stuff and came to some conclusions. Did you did you read through that? I did. I, listen, it's nothing that we don't already know. It's just nobody seems to care. I, that's what I find so maddening about all of this is, look, asymptomatic spread and pre-symptomatic spread are two different things, okay? Pre-symptomatic spread means, or excuse me, if you are pre-symptomatic, as the name implies, you're going to get symptoms presently. So that's usually within a couple of hours to a couple of days, one or two. That's pre-symptomatic. Asymptomatic means you don't have symptoms. You had, you might have COVID. You might just have a positive PCR test, but either way, you're not, you don't have a cough. You don't have fever. You still can taste and smell. That's asymptomatic and the, and the symptoms never develop. So if you want to look at what the research indicates right now, please don't jump down my throat. This is not my opinion. I'm just giving you what the actual research says. Pre-symptomatic spread can happen, but it's exceedingly rare. It's very rare. It doesn't happen a lot. Most of the time when somebody spreads COVID-19, they have mild to severe symptoms. So it could only be mild symptoms. And the, the, the more symptomatic they are, the greater the likelihood that they can spread the virus, which is just common sense. I, I mean, this is the way every other respiratory virus in the history of humanity has worked. So the, the more severe your symptoms are, the more likely you are to spread. Asymptomatic spread, I, I don't want to take too strong of a position on this unless the data changes, unless we see some really, really stark differences from what we're seeing now. Asymptomatic spread does not happen, Yeah. It, period. It doesn't. And I get the, uh, the argument of like, well, you can't tell if it's pre-symptomatic or asymptomatic. Right, but even pre-symptomatic is, is unbelievably rare. It's your your infection rate is is something like zero point three percent versus severely symptomatic where it's almost seven. Like these aren't close numbers. And and look, I I don't know what to do with that information. I I don't. I just know that we got to stop pretending like some of these things are true when they are not. And that's one of them that's just not true. We're talking about a vaccine and everything else, and people have to make their decision. And this is what we go into with uh, with Mr. Selka. Assemblyman Selka, I apologize. Sorry about that. Um, I I don't know. People people want to tell me like you should take it for the common good of like. But wait a minute, I am a, no risk of COVID. I'm young and healthy and and everything else. It, well, you could spread it to somebody else. Like, well, could I? But what if I just stayed home when I was sick? What if I just isolated when I wasn't feeling well? or even the slightest bit, and was then reasonably cautious when I did go out even without symptoms of washing my hands, not touching my face so much, not, you know, going up and licking people or, or spitting on them. Like, if I just did that, what are my odds of actually spreading this to somebody? Because it's not like it's a 50-50 proposition. It's a infinitesimally, I screwed that word up. It is a minute possibility of me spreading this virus to somebody else if I never get symptoms, or even if I get them and I'm intelligent about it. It's no different. I, that's what I find frustrating. Yeah, no, like I said, I just added to the list of things that seem to just won't die. So um, I, I saw something over the weekend. It was when the bills were going to the, they were coming back and a bunch of people went out there. Somebody made a comment of like, oh God, I hope that they just, everybody just puts masks on and, and does responsible social distancing. I don't care about football. I don't care about this. I just want life to get back to normal. Here's my response to you. If you genuine, if that's really what you want, if you want life to get back to normal, then here's what you should be asking for. Number one is you should be asking for cycle thresholds with the result of every single COVID test so that we can start discerning what is actually active virus and what is not. 
Number two is we should get a breakdown of looking back on the data to say, okay, how many people that died with COVID were actually COVID was the primary cause, COVID was a comorbid factor, or COVID was not even related, but they had a positive test 30 days before. Because I'm sorry, if you die in a motorcycle... If you die in a motorcycle accident a month after you test positive for COVID, you should not be counted as a COVID death for any sort of public policy purpose. But right now you are. And that's insanity if we want to get reliable information. The last one that I think is overwhelmingly important, hospitalizations for COVID. How many of these people are in the hospital with COVID as the primary reason for them being in the hospital? How many people came to the hospital with COVID-19 symptoms, and that's why they're there, or came for something else but then developed COVID symptoms severe enough to require them to stay in a hospital versus one of the studies I saw said about 20% of hospitalizations with COVID had a comorbidity factor of pregnancy. So you you came in to get a procedure done to deliver a child or whatever else. You test positive for COVID, you count. No symptoms. You're not on any treatment for it, but you have it, so they have to treat you like that now. You're making bad public policy because we have bad information. So if you want life to get back to normal, let's get the accurate information. Let's find out how many people actually have a contagious viral load of COVID-19 versus a PCR test run to 40 cycles with a 97% false positive rate. Let's find out how many of these people in the hospitals actually are in the hospitals with COVID-19. I'm not telling you the number is zero. It's well above zero, but it ain't what we're reporting right now. And so it's inflammatory all over the place of we shouldn't want bad information. And what we're getting right now is inaccurate information, and we're expected to make decisions based on that. Yeah, and then we have, you know, isolated situations, but I don't think this is um, unique, maybe. But so right here locally, we had something like, I don't know, 80 or, you know, we had a, a, a large number of hospital patients who were without symptoms waiting to be discharged from the hospital just waiting on a, on a negative PCR test, but they never got one. So the state would not let them leave and go back to their facility or wherever they were. They were basically mandated to stay at the hospital, mm-hmm. taking up resources, taking up room, taking up time and effort from the, the, the personnel that were there. We had to come up with an agreement that New York State had to allow us to then move all those patients to an isolated facility just so that we can rid them of the hospital. And still they don't get to go home. They still have to go to another facility. But this is just a, this is a, a state-created problem that we're trying to find state solutions for. And what are we doing? Like there's, there's other ways around this where we could just not be doing the things that we got us into this place to begin with. It's the, the problem that we always have is God love the government. They try. But Every time you come in and try this stuff, you're basing it on bad information. Like, let, listen, PCR test is a, is a prime example of the PCR test absolutely run at 40 cycles results in a large number of false positive tests, meaning you have no symptoms, you're not going to get symptoms, you're not contagious, you couldn't be contagious, but they found some remnants of dead virus in your system. Okay, fine. There's no need for you to qualify. There's no need for you to quarantine or isolate, and you shouldn't really count as a positive COVID test. Like, you don't have COVID. Right, you shouldn't count as a case. That it doesn't make sense. This shouldn't be a controversial statement. This shouldn't be something that anybody's making overwhelming objections to of like, no, we need to do it. Like, look, if, and I'm not even telling you to stop testing, although you should stop testing PCR, or excuse me, asymptomatic people, but that's another conversation for another day. Test all you want. Just include the cycle threshold. 
Just that's all I'm asking. Include the cycle threshold so you give people more information and not less, and let them make an informed decision on what they should do. And then we can get more specific recommendations from our healthcare people based on hey, if you're at this level of cycles, absolutely you should isolate. Anything above 33 cycles is no, don't isolate unless you're exceedingly symptomatic. And if you're somewhere in between, be careful. You don't need to fully isolate, but just be aware that you do have you you could. There's a low chance you could spread this. So if you get any symptoms, definitely isolate. And if even if you don't, just be smart and try to limit your gatherings. That's yeah. it. Like It's just good information to have. Well, I don't trust people to do that. I don't care what you trust. That's not your call. Like, look, we, we have rules for everything. And yes, we're all, nobody wants to get somebody else sick or to kill them. The problem is the rules are not tied to reality any longer. And why are we not doing this? Why do we not? At, but this started in February, March. It's December. Have we really not had a chance to go back through all the deaths and at least have some level of discernment between, okay, this person died with COVID, but it also could have been the liver failure. And I know it's complicated. There'd be some gray area. Great. Let's at least get rid of all the ones that we know are insane. Like the people that died in car accidents or the people that were shot but had COVID. Yeah, like, especially since we're making policy based on this positivity rate, right. which is cases and positive test results that were just distortingly high. Right. And that's, that is the overarching. And also hospitalizations. There is no reason for us to not want to know, okay, look, if I go in to get my arm, some type of an elective procedure done. Now it's, it's serious. I got a torn rotator cuff or whatever else. Test me for COVID. I have COVID and I'm in the hospital. Okay, fine. But I think we would all agree from the standpoint of, Hey, we want to make sure we're being smart and not overwhelming the healthcare system. That's not the same as someone getting COVID going to the hospital and having such severe symptoms. They need to be admitted. Look, I'm not trying to deny the severity, the lethality, the mortality, or anything else of COVID-19. It's very, very serious. What we're doing is insane. It just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, we're going to keep having these problems. And and the problem I keep going back to is I get people are afraid. But all this is is obedience to authority. Like, you're not asking any questions because you're made to feel guilty if you do. But the reality is all of this stuff is having very negative long-term consequences. And you're all going to, I shouldn't say you all, the people that are pushing hardest for all these rules and restrictions will be the same one that sit there and go, well, we never could have seen this devastation coming from the economic policies. Forgive my language, but bullshit. Of course you could have seen it coming. It's the most predictable people did see thing. It coming. It's still coming and it's not stopping and it's not <clears throat> limited to America. It's going to happen in other countries too. Of because of our economic decisions, because of our policy decisions. So these policy decisions are being made on bad data. I'm not telling you I want to suppress numbers. I'm not telling you I want to cover up information. I want accurate data. If you want life to return back to normal, let's start with accurate data. Because so far, all the mistakes we're making, every single one of them, PCR test settings, uh, hospitalization counts, mortality counts, everything Every mistake goes in the same direction, and it's meant to inflate the number of cases, inflate the number of deaths, and inflate the number of hospitalizations. None of it is designed to counteract any of this. So if all of these things are trending as overcounting and overreaction, what do you think is going to be the overall response? This isn't rocket science. This is pretty simple. And look, we all want to believe, like, I don't trust people, but I trust government might be the most ludicrous statement ever measured with any level of sincerity because if you study history if you study anything about civilizations that came before us i don't care how far back or how recent you want to go i think there's one underlying theme that you can take away from any study of history which is politicians and bureaucrats 
do not have your best interest in mind. If you ought, they, they, you should never give them the benefit of the doubt because every time throughout history that this comes up, if you bet against that, you got about a 99% win rate. Yeah, they don't care about you at all. No, don't play for the 1% exception. Play for the 99% rule. Act as if your mask doesn't work, okay? Act as if it doesn't work. I don't care if you want to wear one, wear one. Great. Pretend it doesn't work. And then respond accordingly. Make all the decisions you would make as if that mask on your face wasn't helping. That is the smarter way than putting on a mask even though you have a cough, but you really need to get to Walmart to pick up a few last-minute items. Don't do that. Pretend your mask doesn't work and make the health decisions you want to make. Wash your hands more often. Don't accept that just because the government says something is good for you that they have your best interest in mind. They don't. Um, If that happens to benefit you, great. But what's way more important to them now is not acknowledging that they got some stuff wrong and they're covering it up actively. And it's insanity to watch this in real time and think this is the world we live in. This is actually reality right now. And I used to read things about how in the past all stuff happened and you go, man, how would people just go along with that without asking any questions? I will never ask that question again. I now see entirely how people just go along with whatever these government officials say without asking any questions, without asking for any proof, or without asking for any evidence that it's working whatsoever because they play on your emotions and they divide everybody up into sides. And that's how we got where we are. And they do it well. Um, it's the only thing they're good at, that and killing people. That's the only thing the governments actually do well. And so, and that's where we got to talk to <clears throat> Assemblyman Salka because we got to kind of marry the two. The health response is, you know, 30-plus years in the health field. Um, uh, like I said, he's the former director of the uh, cardiopulmonary services um, at, at Hamilton Hospital. Um, he was just elected to his second term in assembly. Um, I think he's on the something health committee there for, mm-hmm. for the state. So um, we get to touch base with him. We touch on pretty much everything that we talked about here for the last few weeks. Uh, we didn't go into PCR testing at all, um, even though he did seem interested in that and had some knowledge on that after our interview, but um, we didn't really touch on that, but we did touch on masks and we touched on the restrictions and we touched on just, you know, where we went, where we got here or, you know, where we started in March and how we got to where we are here. So um, Mr. Hughesong, would you like to talk anything about this uh, with the people before we get into the interview? Yeah, uh, actually one quick thing. Yeah. Listen, I am, I'm nobody. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. Neither is Sean. Our information is not coming from a plan of ignorance, though. We're not, we're not sitting here taking wild guesses. We go and talk to people that are much smarter than us. We have interviewed doctors. We have interviewed scientists. We have interviewed laboratory technicians, people that run PCR tests, people that study this stuff for a living. We have read the studies. I, the text exchange between the two of us is Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's not limited to the show either, right? So like, no. we're, we're constantly trying to find more information all the time and try to bring what we think is uh, relative and informative to you guys. So, right, and so uh, it's not like we're just guessing on this. This is informed opinions. Yeah, these of, aren't my ideas. Right, I'm not smart enough to think up any of this. I am not smart enough in and of myself. If you say, hey, that mask will stop the spread of a virus, and I went, that doesn't seem right, but okay, fair enough, you're smarter than me. And that was my response originally was, well, that doesn't seem, why wouldn't we have done this forever then? If it, oh, whatever, fine, this is what, it's a small thing, I don't care. And then the data became overwhelmingly clear that this was having no impact whatsoever. But now we're so far down the road, nobody can back down. Nobody can just say, yeah, yeah we, we got that one wrong, sorry. Wrong. Yeah, nobody can say they're wrong. So, so that's my theory. Look, we are, we're not like resident experts on anything we're reading this it's not us it's coming from other people that we ask questions to and you everybody should be doing the same thing 
Look around, ask more questions. If something doesn't add up, ask about it. If you notice that Florida has most of their counties not wearing masks and New York has every person wearing a mask and New York somehow has more cases and higher spread, maybe pause and ask a question. When California has the exact same result as New York and they're both worse than all the not the states without mask rules, ask a question. Like, wait, wait, wait. Why? 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 Why, why would this be this way? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So, look, go into this with an open mind. I, I can't tell you how interesting this was and how much you learn by talking to people that know more than you about these things. And it's, I, I can't explain to you the motives behind anybody doing anything that they are doing right now. I don't understand why we're not using cycle thresholds on PCR tests. I don't understand why we're not counting hospitalizations and breaking them out. I don't understand why we're still not adjusting our mortality count from nine months ago. It seems like all of that would have a severe impact on public policy. What I know is that my trust has been very shattered in this entire system. Now you're coming out with a vaccine. And again, I am thrilled by this vaccine. I'm very excited about it. I I do think more likely than not, it's safe. But now we're also introducing rules that are going to say the state is going to force me to take this vaccine. Okay, well, now I have more questions of wait, wait, wait. I know that you're inflating test counts through the PCR test. I know you're inflating hospitalizations by counting anybody with a faulty PCR positive test as a COVID case and a COVID hospitalizations. And I know that the mortality rate is, I don't, I don't know the right way of saying this, moderately inflated. It's higher. We're listing it as higher than what it is. That doesn't mean COVID is not lethal. It is. I, I know. Please don't, please don't jump down my throat over that. But all of these numbers are inflated, and you're using that as the justification for why you are going to force me to take a vaccine. No. You want me to be on board with you mandating my healthcare decision from a vaccine standpoint and what's going to happen to my children? You need to give me accurate data because what you're giving me right now is not accurate. It is inflated, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not taking any guesses as to why because, my God, I don't want to go down that road. I'm going to side on it's just general government incompetence. But you know why? Because they're not forced to give it because the press is not holding them to account, right? So they're right. not even asked the questions. I mean, we ask questions, but nobody cares. That's right? true. So, so if people actually who had, uh, I don't know, a blue check mark next to their name on Twitter or somebody who was actually a, a curious reporter in some mo- low town someplace anywhere in New York or any state in the world, I guess, any state, wherever. So just have some curiosity from the media would at least ask the questions and maybe they would be presented with some answers. I don't know. Um, I just want the crazy. answer to be, look, it might come back that the number of false positives are, are okay. It's not anything crazy. And instead of like the huge case numbers we have, it's half. All right. Well, that's still significant and we should still plan for that, but we should treat it with the number that it is. And our hospitalizations would probably drop by a fair amount. If you only counted COVID hospitalizations versus overall hospital usage. Okay. That helps us make better decisions on right. how to fight the virus. Right, We can allocate our resources better. Right. It's total sense. And nobody's it's, doing there's it. There's no downside to any of this. It's just a matter of doing the work. But nobody wants, I mean, listen, do you think it's honestly a coincidence that the New York State Department of Health has not released the actual number of nursing home fatalities in New York State yet? Do you think there is any legitimate reason they have not been able to triple verify their numbers, which are all kept on an online system and tallied every day? You think it literally is going to take them six months to find those numbers and verify them? That couldn't have been done in a week? Again, the one... everlasting lesson from history that you can learn is never ever assume the government the politicians or the bureaucrats have your best interest in mind question every motive question every decision and make them lay out the proof right now we're not doing that and that is a tragedy all right 
So without any more uh, further ado, I guess I'm going to bring uh, the interview on for uh, Assembly Mitsalka. I do want to let everybody know that we do have our next week interview already lined up. Um, he is a uh, he has a PhD. He's a scientist with a PhD from uh, in organic chemistry from Notre Dame, but he has done a lot of research uh, into masks. So we're going to do a whole interview on masks. So that'll be fun for everybody. He sounds like an idiot. <clears throat> well, so you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. This will be fun. Um, he's uh, he's wrote a few articles. I'll, I'll share those, obviously, as we get through uh, closer to next week. Um, but I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm sure everybody else is. So, uh, Mr. Hughesong, I want to thank you again for taking the time. And uh, without any further ado, Assemblyman Selka. I want to welcome to the show New York State Assemblyman, representing the 121st District, covering parts of Madison, Oneida, and Otsego Counties. He spent over 30 years as a respiratory therapist and is currently director of cardiopulmonary services at Hamilton Hospital. Ladies and gentlemen, Assemblyman John Salka. Assemblyman Salka, thank you for coming and joining us on Sports Clicks and Politics. Um, it's a pleasure for you. You're our first in-studio guest, so uh, breaking the seal for us, I thank you. Well, that's great. I thank you for the time. Uh, just a correction, yeah. I retired as director of cardiopulmonary services back in 2017. Oh, wow, congratulations, so, uh, I guess. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Let's <laughs> stay focused on uh, yes. uh, uh, running for the uh, for the assembly. Uh, just a little quick history yeah. here. Uh, from town of Brookfield, but originally grew up in Utica, New York, nice. and uh, moved to Brookfield about 30 years ago, gave us some time to get to know the community. I ran for the school board, well, served on the school board for seven years, four of those as board president, <laughs> became town supervisor after that, and of course in Madison County, when you become a town supervisor, you also become a county supervisor, and uh, while I was county supervisor, I chaired social services committee, public health, served as vice president of the board of health for six years. Uh, I uh, was chairman of the Planning and Economic Development Committee, the Energy Committee, uh, on the Finance Committee. So pretty much like to jump into these things with both feet and do as much as I could for the job. I ran for the assembly back in 2014, virtually unknown, almost won against a 20, at that point, a 26, 25-year incumbent, Bill McGee, who was the chair of the Agriculture Committee, very powerful. Uh, we won or lost, I should say, by about four points back in 2014 with on a shoestring budget against a big power sure. machine yeah, of the rest, state no, assembly. Really yeah, uh, so we decided to run again in 2016 and uh, didn't quite get over the finish line that time, but came within two points. So at that point, the day after election, I said, I'm running again because in my estimation, persistence is the key to success. So in 2018, we won. And uh, I have to admit it was a close race. Out of uh, 43,000 votes, we won by 485 votes. But nice. you only got to win by one. That's right. <laughs> okay. Win is a win is a win. That's right. Exactly. Uh, and, and all due respect to Assemblyman McGee, uh, he did, in his 28 years of service as a state assemblyman, uh, he did a lot of good for a lot of people. And I've always tipped my hat to the assemblyman and knowing how tough it is uh, of a job it is right now uh, from being there, um, for him to do that for 28 years, he deserves every bit of respect we can we can give him. Um, but uh, as an assemblyman, I'm going into my second term. Uh, we uh, won in 2018 by 485 votes. In this election, we won by almost 15,000 votes. So I think we've uh, we've, we've gained so some ground. So people know who you are now. We, guess, we've gained yeah. some ground. Uh, but I sit on the Banks Committee, 
Mm, um, it's a little on the boring side, but it's uh, the, one of the committees I've been uh, assigned to. Uh, I also sit on the Social Services Committee, Higher Ed Committee, uh, the Health Committee. Uh, I'm the ranking member on a task force uh, for uh, uh, food, farm, and nutrition. And uh, so, I mean, I... I yeah, all, it sounds like you're all in. Yeah, yeah, and it's a great job. It's a great job. Uh, it, when we can get back to Albany and do something. Yeah, so let's let's do that. So you 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 you're assemblyman. You your first term, you're coming out of that, and all of a sudden you get COVID on your lap, right? So this whole thing kind of comes to a screeching halt back in uh, was it mid March? Yeah, it was um, mid March. Yeah. So when this is unfolding, obviously this is unprecedented for everybody in the assembly, but. You know, here you are. Yeah, you you finally got through. You you got your victory, and now you're dealing with something that no one's ever dealt with. What what were you thinking back in March? Um, and you know, how, how were you uh, taking your role as an assemblyman and using your career in uh, medicine or me- medical health um, and putting those two and kind of evaluating the situation back in March? Well, you know, when this first started coming down, we had a briefing by uh, Dr. Zucker. Howard Zucker. He's the chair, or I should say chair, I shouldn't say chair, but he's the director of the New York State Department of Health. And uh, he brought the legislative members in in uh, kind of a, uh, a closed-door briefing, if you will. And uh, at that point, a lot of the prediction was we've got a real bad situation on our hands here. Um, this could be something very, very bad. Uh, they were talking about having to have 30,000 ventilators, and this could you know, uh, potentially kill hundreds of thousands, if not more. And the way he described it, and I had an opportunity to talk to him after this briefing on a medical level, and the way he described this virus, this was going to be a really bad one. And as a respiratory therapist who ran ventilators for 30 plus years, uh, both in neonatal intensive care units and intensive care units. Uh, when someone says they need 30,000 ventilators, we're looking at something very, very bad, very bad. Um, fortunately, we didn't need that many ventilators. And as a matter of fact, that's pretty much par for the way this whole approach to this crisis has gone. Uh, a lot of overreaction. All due respect, this is very, very bad. It kills a lot of people, uh, in particular our elderly, which are the high risk. Uh, but at that point, we were looking at something that uh, we were all very, very fearful that was going to have a very, very um, troublesome scenario. Uh, and again, like I said, I'm glad it didn't pan out that way. But right after that briefing, um, we go to the floor of the New York State Assembly, and before us comes a bill that would have appropriated $40 million to fight coronavirus. Now, keep in mind, with this briefing fresh in mind, you're looking at something that you have no idea what we have to do to manage this. And, of course, our first and foremost job to our constituents, our commitment is for safety, to make sure that them and their families are safe. So before us came this bill for this $40 million, and attached to it was a bill that increased the governor's executive powers. At that point, it made sense, at least, to make sure that decisions that have to be made quickly are made in that fashion. And that was my understanding was to grant him this authority would have given him the ability to be able to think quick, 
because right. this is an ever-evolving situation. Sure. Right, and if we're under situations where we have to go through some kind of procedure, then you could cost lives. So it, to- it, to- totally makes sense. Instead of instead of calling the to calling the legislature back in the session or presenting, because the legislature, believe me, uh, you can get bogged down in a lot of debate, and which is sure. a great thing. It's a great thing. It's the American yeah. way. But our point was to be able to make those decisions quickly. Where it fell through was this. We were supposed to be able to come back after 30 days and review those powers. That was the only reason that I could justify voting for this was, okay, fine. But if we need to clip his wings on this, we'll clip his wings. And the legislature never came back into session to do that. And when they did, all they did was discuss and pass a bunch of anti-cop bills. They didn't talk about reigning in the governor's powers. They didn't talk about the budget deficit they were looking at all they wanted to do is get up on their soapbox and they want to talk about how bad cops are so my frustration was wait a minute we agreed to give him the authority but we also said it comes with this caveat that we review those powers well like i said the majority would never call the, the the legislature back in session or if they did they set the agenda and this was never on the agenda so looking at that we have been, our conference has been demanding over the months, let us get back, get us back into session so that we need to put this guy's powers in check. And it just simply hasn't happened. We don't know actually if it will before the end of the year. The rumor is they're going to call us back into session, but to do what? To pass a bunch of bills to increase taxes. So is there anybody on the other side who is looking to try to get this discussion going from the Democrat side? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there's a, uh, an assemblyman, his name's Ron Kim, and he's from Queens. He's a Democrat from Queens. Um, he's been actually working with our caucus, and we've been working with his to come up with legislation that would say, finally, Governor, no more. Yeah, Obviously, I'm understanding that it runs through April, right? It runs through April. It sunsets in April, and I would hope that the legislature will not renew it. But you have you got to keep in mind, and this has been a problem with the legislature for a long, long time. And now it's even worse because the state senate, through this past election, and now gained legislation that would say so they didn't even have to pay any attention to a gubernatorial veto. No more. Um, the legislature I'm understanding has been dominated that it, it runs by downstate right? Democrats it runs for a long, long time. time. And, and I would hope that the, the legislature the will not renew it. Set the debate. But you have to keep people in mind. And this has been this a problem. And I think they are. I think the they're starting to wake up to this. Long time. And now it's even worse because the state power structure is this past election and now gained super majority. Try to do so that. they didn't even have to pay any attention to a gubernatorial veto. So what is the path forward? Uh, the legislature has been dominated well, by downstate Democrats for a long, long time. That, uh, obviously, and they set um, the tone, at least in my short the laws, experience, and they set the debate in, in the assembly. And until but people along realize this, and I think they are, I think they're starting to wake up to this. Uh, we absolutely years need to change experience what the power is, structure is. You have to do in, the old-fashioned way. Absolutely, and we've been working power back to the people. You have to I, give that authority back. So, to the what people. is the path forward? Do you think they work? We don't. Well, I think the we path work forward is with this, them and through them. That, and uh, obviously, them. Uh, uh, at least I in my short people in New York State have to realize the assembly. But along with just, I want to give a, take this time to give years a, a brief into a bill that I've experienced. the old fashioned that is to form to give power back to the state into three autonomous regions. You would have the upstate region, which would be called New Amsterdam. You'd have the New York region, and then you would have the Montauk region, which would be Long Island. Now, a year ago, if I talked to somebody about this, they looked at me like I had two heads. But more and more people are starting to reach out to us, and they're saying, maybe something like that should be discussed. Maybe upstate New York could fend for itself. 
maybe Long Island could fend for itself because the old reasoning that New York City, we can't do without New York City and upstate New York. New York City's decimated. Decimated. The MTA is billions and billions of dollars in debt. This past uh, crisis with the coronavirus has proven to us that New York City places an inordinate amount of, of stress and pressure and demands on the rest of the state. We've got good, solid people, good minds in upstate New York, and a good. We could have a good economy, and we got great infrastructure. We got good working uh, uh, force. Uh, I I think we should. We all we're looking to do is just just to have it brought up for debate and more people to become aware. So if, if anybody ever wants to reach out to our office and they want the bill number or they want to talk about this, so I want to take this moment uh, to let you know our phone number is 315-361-4125. So if you want to discuss this, or I have two social media sites, I have my assembly site, and I also have my personal John Salka site, and I would be glad. We have thousands and thousands of followers, and I think it's something that really deserves some attention. I'll, I'll be sure to put all that information into the show notes for the, for the show, so Great. that people can find that too. So if uh, let's follow up question on that. If that's three autonomous zones, what is that? It's not three separate states. No. Okay, and then what would the impact be, just two minutes of, of what that would look like? Well, essentially, if you look at the bill, the bill's about 24 pages long, at least the bill that I'm sponsoring by Assemblyman Diapetro. He's from the western part of the state. And essentially, and it, it, anybody who reads it really is impressed with how detailed it is. It covers how we provide for infrastructure, the court system, taxation, governance. And here's something that we would have if there was a quasi-constitution, if you will. All right, we would have the power to impeach and to throw people out of office if they don't perform right, if they're not accountable, yeah. if they don't do the job as they were elected to do. And according to the New York State Constitution, impeachment or removing someone from office in New York State is not even an option. Is so, that a recall process? Nothing? There's nothing. There's nothing. So we would make sure integrated into that new government, if you will, that there would be a higher level of accountability. You don't do the job. You're down the road. Yeah, it seems like if uh, you're ever going to make the, especially the argument against the New York City, you know, influence over upstate, now is the time. So um, I could see more people being interested in that just because of, of what we're at. So um, let's talk about the government and the restrictions that are happening now. So we have all of these um, lockdown measures. I'll call them lockdown measures. I, I think people don't like to use that term, but that's what I like to use. Yeah, restrictions. Um, you know, from everything, the, the the mask mandates, the gathering limits, the um, you know the indoor outdoor dining thing, the social distancing. It, was this stuff that um, coming with your medical background? Was this stuff that you were, you know, I, I, back to what you were saying too? Is like early on, I think most of us thought the same thing that it was a, a, a nasty, scary thing. I think most people's behavior reflected that, and most people did these measures without a government mandate. Anyway, and then we were having a, uh, a more, I guess, responsible uh, reaction from our populace, but the government wasn't happy with that, and they enforced these mandates on top of that. So do these mandates, did, did they make sense early on? Do they still make sense? Uh, what was your thoughts on some of these restrictions? Well, you know, when we first, again, we're approaching this, this, this crisis, this pandemic, uh, it, it, it almost you would have to think maybe overreaction is a little bit better than an underreaction. Sure. So let's make sure that we got all our bases covered. But over time, 
uh, both the scientific and the political community have learned a lot of things. Okay, the medical community has learned a lot. Uh, and more and more of it, and this is pretty much what I hear, there's two statements that I hear from constituents that I talk to. Number one is it just doesn't add up, and it just doesn't make sense. And if you think about it, does it make sense to be able to go to Walmart and you can't go to church? All right. Does it make sense that you go into a restaurant and you have to you can take your mask off as soon as you sit down? But as soon as you stand up, as soon as you, you know, put those legs underneath you, you have to put a mask on. So I think most people are starting to look at these mandates and these these regulations or whatever directives are coming from the governor's office, because it seems like everything comes from the governor's office now. Uh, It just doesn't make any sense anymore. And you're seeing a heightened level of frustration and kind of a sense of abandonment at this point, uh, especially after this last election where people have said, I'm not even sure my vote counts anymore. So I think you're seeing this, this confluence of frustration and fear and confusion. And someone was talking about the rollout of the vaccine and it's a very important component to fighting this. I'm hoping that we focus on our high-risk communities, our elderly. Um, But uh, out of all this, you know, we have a bill, as a matter of fact, it's Assembly Bill 11172, and it essentially gives people the choice about whether or not they want to receive the vaccination. It's not an anti-vax bill. It's not anything that we're looking to scare people with, uh, but it's simply allowing rational, mature adults to make a decision about whether or not they want to have uh, receive a virus that's had minimal, minimal amount of time to be tested. I read a piece coming out of the UK the other night. Now they're making sure that uh, women who are lactating, women who want to have, uh, who want to become pregnant, um, you know, they can't, they shouldn't be taking this. Uh, you know, there's so many, I, I spend enough time in the medical profession to know that one of the things that's the most sound element of the medical profession is if you prescribe a drug or if you do a medical procedure, it's based in years and years of research and protocol and, and, and clinical trials, all due respect to the president. Cause I think he had to do what he had to do, but I've got real concerns about how this, this vaccine has been rolled out and how many clinical trials are able to be cited on its efficacy and its safety. Um, I'm hoping and praying to God that we don't see a lot of people that are going to suffer negative effects of this. And I, more than anybody, just as much as anybody, if not more, want to see this vaccine to be successful. But there were no animal trials on it. Okay. Uh, There's been no pediatric trials done. Uh, From what I understand, now they're recommending the Moderna vaccine is not given to to pregnant women because there's been no studies on women and the fetus. So I have to step back and look at it from a medical standpoint and say, where's the research? Where's where are the clinical trials? Where is the uh, time spent? Uh, to really substantiate whether or not this virus um, is something that is safe for everyone. What, what, what do you think about the, I'm, I don't want to use the word propaganda, but what about this? It seems that I don't remember ever being so much promotion of a vaccine. It seems like it's on TV, every article, like there is, I think there was like four straight articles. I saw this on the local news today, all just promote either trying to, I don't know if glorify the subject of the vaccine is the right word, but they're, they're, they're like all these pieces 
around the vaccine. Does it seem normal? Is that something? I don't remember anything like that before. It seems like there's a concerted effort to make sure that people are really happy with this vaccine in regard taking into fact everything that you just laid out where there's uncertainty and the media is, is all in. Do you find that? I, I find that unnerving as a matter of fact. Oh, and no. uh, again, for years and years, we had to deal with uh, Ebola, and I've been through Ebola pandem- uh, epidemics, uh, SARS, MERS, uh, H1N1, swine flu. Um, granted, this is a little bit different bug, um, actually much different bug, and, and as it, every bit as dangerous, not more dangerous than the flu. Uh, but the the sales pitch, if you will, for these other vaccinations wasn't anywhere near as as is intense and yeah. built up and you got it mean, people people are inherently pretty smart they're, they're pretty savvy about this kind of stuff and i think when you see something like this rolled out with such fanfare again we have a serious serious situation here people again are working from fear and confusion um but it doesn't need fancy marketing it just needs you just need to present people with the facts and truth and I've got my real concerns about whether or not we're getting either at this point. Yeah, you and I both. Um, it seems that with everything you said, I, I understand to why we rushed it out and everything else, and I expect that the vaccine is safe. However, I think if you're going to rush it out, the idea is, well, it's so dangerous we have to do it. Now, if you look at uh, demographics on who this virus is super threatening to, yeah, if you're older, if you're 70 and above, if you have health conditions, it's probably worth the risk to take the vaccine and, and go for it. But if you're younger, and this is where I'm, I'm in my mid-30s, and I've said it on the show several times, there is no award they can offer and no punishment they can threaten that will make me stick that thing in my arm. I'm sorry. I just I've, I saw what happened in 1976 with the, when they came out with a rushed vaccine, and it caused problems. And I get our technologies better. But they thought the same thing in 1976. They thought the technology was wonderful then. And in 100 years, they're going to look back at this time and go, huh, can you believe what they used to do? Well, and I know it's, again, I... I I, I, it's almost an apples and oranges type of thing, but I don't know if anybody remembers back in the fifties, thalidomide was supposed to be a great drug. (laughs) Okay. You know, I mean, and again, I don't, it's not a, it's not a, it's almost not a fair comparison, Sure, but you know, these are, these are medications that everybody thought was going to be the best thing since sliced bread. And for that matter, from a personal level, I'm 66 years old. Okay. I, I suffer from chronic bronchitis. All right. Uh, the last time I got pneumonia, uh, they told me don't get it again, or it's probably going to be a, not a good situation. But you know, so if there's anybody who's a candidate for this vaccine, but I'm going to use my powers of choice, mm-hmm. okay, my God-given powers of choice, and and, um, and you know that's what our bill provides for. And I'm going to do a wait and see. I want to see more clinical evidence. Sure. I want to see more efficacy. Uh, I want to see this rolled out in a more uh, truthful and, 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 and accurate manner before I decide to inject something like that into my body. So let's speak to that a little bit. I obviously am a very, very huge proponent of the choice aspect of everybody has to make this cost-benefit analysis. Now, I get kickback from people every now and then of it's so bad and you could spread it and everything else. So let's let's go revisit. I think there's some discrepancy in understanding versus reality. Perception versus reality is different. Other treatments, if I'm looking at the data correctly, seem to be far more effective than anything we were doing early on. And ventilators is a part of that. We're not, maybe you can speak to ventilators first of, we're not using them as often and we're not turning them up as high. Is that, and then what's the effect of that and how's that going? Exactly. And essentially what a ventilator is, it's a pump. 
Okay, it pumps air in and out. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's very sophisticated. You can tailor it to a person's breathing pattern and all this kind of stuff. It's really reached a level of sophistication. is quite impressive. Um, but by pumping that air into someone's lungs, um, if you pump too much in, okay, like I said, I'm trying to keep this. If you, if you pump in what they call peak pressures and tidal volumes and you pump in too much, you actually damage the lungs. Sure. And you damage the lungs under a long, uh, in a long-term basis, as a matter of fact. You, you do something called barrel trauma. Okay, because there's the receptors in the lungs and they get damaged. And so what I'm afraid of is we're going to see an explosion in chronic lung problems, even worse than we have now, yeah. you know, from the way these things are treated. Now they're finding, too, that uh, simply by turning the patient on their stomach, what they call pronate, putting them in the prone position, that the lungs are able to drain and inflate better without having to put them on invasive ventilation. And, of course, there's non-invasive ventilation, something called BiPAP, mm-hmm. that people uh, are, are now uh, being treated with that is much less damaging to the lungs. So, again, my point earlier that we're learning as we go along right. on this, uh, and that's a good thing. That's what medicine's fantastic about is to learn as we go along. And I, I think we're still in the learning curve on this vaccine. Sure. So I tend to think, and again, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, but people are saying to me, well, your bill is putting the cart before the horse. No one's forcing anybody to take this vaccine. Well, three years ago, and I mentioned this earlier, three years ago, if they told me that they were going to repeal the religious exemption for vaccines, I would have said, you're crazy. And you know what? They did. Right. And again, we're not looking to instill paranoia. We just want to have rational decisions made by rational people, given the facts. That That's all. That's all. And now... On social media, I'm accused of uh, encouraging people to get sick and die. Uh, people are saying, shame on you as a medical professional. How could You're you dangerous. possibly? You're yeah. dangerous. Heard that once or twice. Right, right. You know, we're, we're, said, you know, we're saying things that are going to cause people to get sick and die. That could be, nothing could be farther from the truth. I spent 32 years dedicated to keeping people alive, okay? And there's nothing, there's no one more passionate about making sure that people are safe and healthy than I am. Uh, but... There are questions out there that deserve to be answered and asked and answered. Uh, On the same vein here, the the big fear early on was how novel and how new this was and nobody had any immunity. We were all as susceptible. And early on, it was we didn't understand. It looked like mostly older people and unhealthy people, but it was any age and everything else. How novel is this virus? And then uh, compared with, like, I don't know if you've looked at the studies on the T-cell immunity in, in populations, can you put that into layman's terms of, of what that means or what the potential implications are? Well, as I said, you know, this is a nasty bug. There's, sure. There's no doubt about it. And the way that uh, in, in the papers and the studies that I've read, the way that this, uh, uh, this RNA-type uh, virus uh, operates is almost it's, – it's very um, – uh, unorthodox, if you will, the mm-hmm. way that this attacks so many systems at once. And that's been the big problem is because it's uh, something that could cause what they call multi-organ, multi-systems failure, although it targets mostly the lungs. Right. Uh, but if you're not breathing, it's pretty much, you know, that's the whole ball of wax. Um, so, you know, this is, a, this is a virus like we have not seen before, but also in the same respect, a lot of the information on this virus has been coming out of China. Now, we already know who are we supposed to believe when any information comes out of China. As a matter of fact, if you look at what the CD recommendations are on masks, okay, if you click on it and it says that increasing evidence on the efficacy of masks, if you click on that, there's 14 studies that are cited by the CDC. Seven of those studies are out of China. Five of them, five of them really talk about the transmissibility of the virus, don't really talk about the masks, though. 
two left. One says masks should be used as an absolute last resort, and the last study remaining is inconclusive. So everybody's screaming, we want the science, we want the science. Okay, And again, that's an ever-evolving thing. All right, We've been asking the same thing, show us the science. And every time we do, or many times that we do, we're met with, well, you just don't care, you want to kill grandma. You know, it you just, caught me. <laughs> and those are the kind of things that, you know, like I said, I think the average intelligent citizen says, well, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't add up. Nope. You know, so, I mean, we've got a lot to learn here through this. And when you're asking, you know, and, and, and when people come at me for it, I say, all I'm asking is that you give us the science on why you're asking 330 million people to do something. That's all. Right. Now it's having effects. Masks are having an effects on children with disabilities, particularly in the autism community, oh. because a lot of the social cues that autistic children need to connect with are facial expressions. And now you're asking them to go to school sometimes, all right, you know, with these masks on. So you're asking for pretty much a total cultural shift in what I think this country is all about is to have the fortitude to ask questions to make sure that we have good evidence behind what we ask people to do and to not expect compliance. And if that compliance isn't dealt with with a uh, an appreciation of someone who did, made this decision on their own, is, is met with hostility and accusations that you don't care about anybody else, I'm sorry, that just doesn't add up for me. Yeah, I've met with those accusations pretty much on a daily basis, um, especially about masks. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I... I'm just now. I'm, I don't know if it's a callous, but like I'm just aware that it's going to happen when I bring it up. And but I'm with you. I've I've kind of walked through a lot of this stuff. And ben has done even more than I have with this mask thing. And I go back to the what is it? The Hippocratic Oath. You know, do no harm. Like wh- what were we doing? We did all this stuff without having any kind of knowledge. We just said this is how we have to do it, and we did harm. And here we are. We we're, we're not. We don't have the. I don't know if it's. We're just so far down this road that we don't have the gumption to come back and admit we we're wrong and be like hey you know we did this wrong or f- something else but it seems as though they're still all in on all this stuff uh, i mean from what i understand data yeah from what i understand is better than a 90 percent compliance rate with the virus and yet we're still seeing spikes yeah. so again all yeah, this- i saw california had a 97 percent compliance rate with their masks they have but they have some of the highest spikes in the country right all right, and you know, well, you're not wearing the mask right, or, you know, no, no. Most people wear their masks, okay, be it as a, a cloth mask, which, uh, uh, again, I, I, when I was working at a hospital in Hamilton, um, one of the jobs I had was doing fit testing for all our staff. Yeah. All the staff had to be fit tested with the N95 mask. We sit them in a chair. We hook some tubes to the mask. We have it into the computer, and it tells us what size mask and whether or not it's working right. If someone has a beard, we recommend. And if they don't pass it, okay, then they can't go into certain areas of the hospital. Uh, so I kind of have a little bit of innate knowledge on what the efficacy is of masks. And I would love to be able to, to do some of the tests that I did on the N95. I'd love to be able to do them on a cloth mask or better yet, a scarf. 
Maybe we can have you on for a video portion of the show. We can just have a little uh, camera experiment. Time out, right? time out, time out. Are you telling me that that piece of cloth that I throw on and off of the passenger seat of my car and then stick over my face may not be completely as safe as an N95? Well, what I'm saying is that you might want to look at it with a little bit of subjectivity. Um, you know, I watch these people take their mask off and they put it in their pocket. Okay, uh, I watch my kids step on his about three times a day. That's super fun. As somebody who's a borderline germaphobe to begin with, and he puts it right back over his face. Well, from what, I, from what I understand... Um, um, a glove compartment is not an autoclave. Okay, so um, it's again. Come on, auto industry, get on it. Let's, yeah, we got. I want to have a sterilization unit there, put in my glove compartment. Again, I don't mean to make jest of it, obviously, but it's it just seems that uh, uh, I, I, someone uh, someone on social media on my social media uh, page last night said that uh, they think if they see someone out there that's not wearing a mask, we should take a picture of them and we should out them. Okay, whoa, this is getting to be kind of scary stuff that uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to even consider something like that. But it's happening. Um, We've had some pretty rude remarks to us made by people who outside, mind you, outside um, or someone with jogging with a mask on. Remember the original rule when it said if you're inside and can't stay more than six feet away? So basically, if you were inside and you could socially distance, it was okay to not have a mask on still. Now that's turned into you're leaving your house and you don't have a mask on. Why do you want my grandmother to die? Well, again, you know, this is the emotional component of it. And again, I say it again. It just doesn't add up. It just doesn't make any sense at this point. So let's get the point you hit before. We have comparisons now. Florida is not wearing masks to this level. Texas is not wearing masks to this level. South Dakota's not. Sweden's not. Finland's not. Norway's not. And everywhere you look, Germany is. England is. You can't tell a difference. If you plot all of these cases on a, on a chart, you can't tell which is which. So the argument somehow gets turned into, well, Florida's not wearing masks and look at their spikes. Sure. But New York is, California is, and they have the exact same spike. It's not up to me to prove that not wearing a mask will prevent the disease. It's up to you to prove that wearing it will have some impact. And and really, I mean, morbidly so, who's got the highest death rates? Okay, so who's the, got the... And, and really, when you look at win? these numbers, you look at how many people are hospitalized, how many people are intubated, what's the mortality, all right? I mean, so again, here presents another case of show us the science right show us the science and um it speaks to the importance of your bill of you need to have a choice because if you realize the stats on this of 40 percent of the deaths at a minimum across the country came from nursing homes nursing homes are one percent of the population not even so all right what is the risk to me personally and then you look at the data coming out on asymptomatic spread and as dr fauci pointed out months ago asymptomatic spread has never been the primary driver of a respiratory virus ever why are we losing sight of all of this data that we have known for decades and just going, well, this time it's different? Because of the fear factor. It's amazing. Because of the fear factor. It comes down to people are are, are, are afraid. They're scared. And I don't blame them. Sure. Uh, no one wants to. Uh, uh, you know, I, I talked to a friend, and I think there's more examples out there than than. There's a lot of examples of this out there. Uh, she's she's in her 60s. Her husband's 80. Uh, they tested positive. And, of course, they were terrified. And she does everything, everything to comply. Masks, the hand washing, the hand sanitizer, uh, just limited, limited exposure out there. And she, I said, oh, gosh, what, 
are you okay? She said, yeah. She said, we ended up with a sore throat. This is her 80-year-old husband. We ended up both with a sore throat. We had a little bit of a low-grade fever, um, you know, a little bit of cough, two or three days. She said, and we're fine. We're fine. Good. So, I mean. And, and uh, to piggyback on the mask thing, too, like, I think it sets up people to think that they're safer and more secure than they actually are. So, they're putting maybe vulnerable people in situations that they shouldn't be because they have this mask on, thinking that it's providing them protection, that it actually isn't. Like, that's a bigger concern for me. You know, not first of all, not knowing, we've never done this before, not knowing whether or not this is going to work, doesn't seem to have working, whether or not there's actually harm to the wearer. I don't know that there's any, been any kind of study to actually know that or not, but it's the, the, the false sense of security that these masks are presenting to these people who are putting themselves in situations that they probably shouldn't be in otherwise. Exactly. You know, and that's a great point. Uh, watch the average person and how much they fiddle with that mask. Okay. And they're putting what could be contaminated hands. All right, close to their face, close to their eyes, close to their their, their nasal chambers. Right. All right, and this is uh, uh, you know something, and, and the body is a wonderful, wonderful machine. Amazing. The nose has something called turbinates, and and there are these channels. Okay, and there's little hairs in there, and all. I don't want to get too. No, uh, I don't want to get. Into, I don't want to get into TMI. <laughs> but the purpose of those is to filter bacteria. Okay, if you put a mask on, okay, you're pretty much kind of no longer, you're short-circuiting that filtration system that you have. And not to mention the fact, too, that a lot of the, 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 the acuity of the virus depends on what they call viral load. Okay, the number of actual viral particles that you in, inhale. Um, with a mask, you're pretty much trapping that bacteria, those viruses in the mask. So um, there are some studies out there that show one way or the other, okay, that it doesn't, that it does. Uh, again, the science is still evolving on this. But if you sneeze, do you sneeze into your mask? No, you take your mask off, you sneeze. There, you've just released the particles, you put your mask back on. Uh, it's just about as silly as sitting down there at Thanksgiving dinner and taking your mask off, taking a fork full of food and putting the mask back on. But these are what people are recommending. So unless you, know, you go to the French Landry, then you can just Then you go to the French Landry. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, it, I mean... <laughs> It's mind-boggling that how much people will ignore the common-sense aspect of it. And I, my fear is always that, look, if you have any symptoms whatsoever, stay away from people. And the idea that you see people going out, like I talked to somebody who does contact tracing, and they still go out, but they wear a mask. They're like, well, I had a mask on. It doesn't matter. If you're sick, don't go places. This is common. This is like disease prevention 101 that we learned in third grade. Wash your hands and stay away from somebody when you're sick. And, and here's one other thing that really is a matter of concern, and I think you're going to be able to see this more and more. You're going to be able to observe this more and more in the upcoming months. Is we're going into flu season. Remarkably, the number of flu cases has dropped precipitously. Almost zero. Now, Granted, yeah. um, flu really doesn't kick into gear till usually January, February, all right? But there's a lot of, a lot of cases of flu coming up. And remarkably, these cases of flu um, or people that are dying, cardiac arrest, renal failure, a number of other diagnoses, lo and behold, on their death certificates now is covid so, I mean, again, this is why we need to be vigilant. If, in fact, a friend of mine who is a coroner told me that he knows that this gentleman, 78 years old, died of cardiac arrest. He knows that. The guy had a lot of comorbidities. He was in renal failure. Uh, you know, he was sick. Sure. He passed away. He had a cardiac arrest. COVID. Yeah, I think in New York Department of Health, it's anything within 60 days of your death, right? So if you're, if you're, if you're coded with COVID and you die within 60 days of that, you're COVID death. 
again, these are the kind of things that people are reading in in the news mm-hmm. on a limited basis. Um, but these are the kind of things that people are reading, and they're saying, "Well, yeah, that doesn't make any sense." But they're not. They should be going that one step farther and saying, "We're not going to accept this." But do you think it's they're not going that one step farther because of the shaming and all this other stuff that's going on with it? I mean, like. I have no problem standing yes. on an island of one. So like I can be on an island of one and be totally fine with it. I don't think most people can. And so if even if they believe it, they're just willing to just go with the go because I'm not welcome they, on your island. I'm just saying I can be. Oh, I'm not I'm saying I'm, I am. Uh, you're more than welcome. I'm just saying there. Mo- I think most people I think I are uncomfortable standing on an island so small. And if they have an unpopular opinion, they're not going to tell it. I mean, well, I, I think it's a human element or a human need to be to be wanted. Okay, and humans are social animals. Okay, which brings in a whole other argument if we could about how this is denying that basic uh, need sure. and that basic right to be social. Uh, how can you be social with a mask on? All right, but and also. You know, people want to be accepted, and they don't want to be threatened. They're kind of basically non-confrontational, and I think what this does is this threatens that that you know that it gives them that threat. That, you know, they don't want to be uh, disagreeable, and uh, I just I, I just worry because so many times in the history of medicine, there's been things that have been done that were set in stone. It was gospel. And another study Leaching. comes up or something, and years later they find out we sh- probably should not have to do have done that. Um, so the guy that came out and said the reason you're having high infant mortality rate is because you have doctors working on cadavers at night and then delivering babies, and they're not washing your hands. And if you just wash your hands, I think it would stop all of this. And everybody laughed at him and called him a quack. The idea of settled science drives me nuts. There's no such thing. We, we're constantly learning, and that is the beauty of our species is we are relatively smart, but how much more we're going to know in 15 years is amazing. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, obviously. Right. Okay, and uh, again, because of the seriousness of this, at least the perceived seriousness of this, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not belittling it or anything. I've been accused of that, okay, but I think we just need to, to start to rationalize and not emotionalize this issue. It seems like great advice. Tell me if I'm way off in this, and I might be because I am not a doctor whatsoever, but I've read more scientific studies in the last nine months than in the, my previous 36 years combined. Like I've, I've kind of gone down this rabbit hole way too far. Um, it seems to me early on, we have 300,000 deaths attached to COVID in the United States. That's the number that gets thrown around. I don't know what the real number is, but if that number is accurate, that means nobody else has died of medical error in this entire time, which seems to me as a statistical impossibility. there's there, We've made mistakes and we know it. Using ventilators to the way that we were, we wouldn't do that now. Using some of these other treatments, we wouldn't do that now. We weren't giving steroids early on. We're giving them now some of these antiviral medication, the remdesivir, all of this stuff now, the treatment's so much better. So I'm not discounting any of the people that died. But the idea is moving forward, there's no way you're going to see that same level again because we are avoiding so many of these problems now is that crazy, or is that an accurate way to look at it? No, I, I think it's a very pragmatic way of looking at it. And you know, I think that uh, again, as more people uh, are 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 informed and through venues like this, and that's one of the things that I try to do almost on a daily basis, is just to disseminate information that we can say has a basis in fact or truth. It's not conjecture. Uh, it's something that we feel confident. And if, in fact, we are found wrong and we can be uh, 
and and that that can be based in 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 research. In fact, we'll be first to admit it. You should have the room to be wrong and it not be the end of you. You can exactly. be wrong and then come back again. Our egos are not that big. Okay. I mean, I, I believe me, I've been called out a lot of times on things that especially by my wife. But <laughs> but I'm just saying though that that what we need to do is just to step back, take a breath, take a deep breath. Now of course they're recommending that we don't get get together for Christmas. This is insane. This is one of the most sacred, honored holidays, at least in this country, if not through the world. And they're asking us not to group together all right, to, 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 to celebrate Christmas. Uh, again, this is the stuff a year ago I would have said, yeah, okay, you, you, you know, what have you been smoking? You're so much nicer than I am. You keep using the word they ask and they request. They're not asking or requesting. They're ordering and edicting. Edicting's not really a word. I know that, but I just felt like I could plurp. Ver- well, sometimes being an elected official, you have to, be, you have, to have certain, uh, That's fair. Uh, you know. So. I just get to throw haymakers from back here. I do want to throw one more point out there for your bill in particular and why I do think it's so important. Now, oh, I'm not a doctor. I was a lawyer. Technically still am. I just keep paying the money. And they let like me keep saying I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a jurist doctor. Right. That's right. That's just why nobody likes lawyers. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> what, what strikes me as, okay, everybody, like the vaccine, you're, you're so confident and good. Congratulations. Whatever else. Just in case anybody was a little bit curious, pretty much every pharmaceutical company has it built in of liability protection that even if they did knowingly cover up some side effect or anything else, the odds of you being able to sue them and win are about zero. There is no liability on them at this point. So if you think that does not incentivize companies to cut cut corners to make profits, I can tell you from my study all through law school and limited time practicing, you are overly optimistic and that is not based in reality. That There is so much experience to the other side, particularly with the pharmaceutical industry. They've done it before. They'll do it again. If this one ends up to be safe, great, but it's not because they took the time to make sure it was safe. Let's just, like, this is where I think the choice is so important of we don't understand the long-term effects of this. We couldn't. It's brand-new technology. And if any industry was going to risk your life at the at the behest of making an extra dollar, it is this industry. They have done it at every opportunity they've ever been given. Yeah, it's, it's sad but true. You know, uh, when I was working in the hospital, um, some of the slickest three-piece uh, pinstripe suits came in, okay, from the pharmaceutical companies. And they, uh, I mean, they got paid to sell drugs. Right. Uh, and, you know, the bottom line, is if I sell this medication, uh, I'm going to get a bigger check, you know? So, um, it's kind of sad in a way, obviously, uh, because we do have, we, we, we do have a very sophisticated and very, uh, uh, it's a good way that we we are able to provide these medications okay, and these treatments for people. We've made it's there unbelievable. Is, there is there is medical miracles out there. For sure. It's there, mind there really blowing are. how far we've come. There really are truly. Uh, but again, with profit being the biggest motive, and now you have no liability whatsoever. Again, I'm not telling you not to get it. I'm not telling anybody don't get the vaccine. I'm not saying it should be outlawed. I'm not saying it should be paused. I'm saying if you're going to look down on somebody else as if I am so inherently selfish and don't care about anybody, please understand it's because I've done the research. I know the low risk of asymptomatic spread. I know that if I get sick, I'll stay home. COVID is of zero statistical threat to me. But I also know this industry and I've seen what they've done in the past. I hope it's safe. I believe it's safe. I'm not willing to gamble it because the cost benefit analysis doesn't line up for me. It's COVID is not a big enough threat to me and my family for me to say, yeah, sure. Take my seven year old son and jam that into him just to be extra safe. Like, nope. 
No, I think we'll, we'll wait and see on this one, and everybody should have to make that decision for themselves. No politician, no governor, no president, no anybody should be able to look me and say, um, yeah, I don't care. Now, lift up your sleeve, and here's the needle. And that's exactly what our bill addresses. In fact, when we wrote it, all right, we wrote it about as simple as you can. It's not a multi-page bill. It just simply says, if you care to, if you choose to, after your research, after your you know inspection mm-hmm. of what's going on, after what you hear, you're talking to people, if, in fact, you want to have the choice, we want to protect that choice with this bill. And one of the reasons, and we had been talking about this for a while, but one of the reasons it really kind of uh, incentivized us to, to come out with this bill was that there is a bill right now that is going to be inter- introduced that does require mandatory vaccinations. Right. We need, when these kind of ideas, we kind of proposals come up, these kind of bills come up, we need something always to be able to counter that I'm bill back. if we don't think it's in the best interest of our of, of my constituents. Uh, and We have had an amazing amount of response from all over the state. People emailing us, people calling us, uh, the social media saying, Thanks, Assemblyman. We really, you know, thank you for being in our, in you know, in our in our corner with us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to have an, uh, you know, to, to to make up our own minds. Well, I want to thank. You. I also want to offer uh, maybe a a snazzy little bill name. Maybe you could call it "My Body, My Choice" and uh, throw that at the top of that bill. Maybe it'll get us some attention. You're well, we uh, <laughs> we we try to stay kind of away from the choice <laughs> stuff, you know. So, uh, uh, but it'll be uh, uh, actually uh, we expect to pick up bipartisan support on this bill. I hope uh, so. We've reached out to the number of legislators who voted against the uh, repeal of the religious uh, exemption. There were a lot of Democrats that did, mm-hmm. so we'll be reaching out to them. We have a Senate sponsor, so I mean we're going to walk this bill through i'm on the health committee so i'll have some uh uh some maybe a little bit of a a plug for my own bill uh but uh i I think uh it would be incredible especially as a minority member to get a bill to the floor of the new york state assembly but these are wild times we're living in you just never know i actually want to put out a disclaimer i'm not an anti-vaxxer either i have all my vaccines my kids are all vaccinated like i'm not that's not my thing it's just this particular one with how rushed it is i'm going eh and, and then you get into some of the disinformation that's come out about, all right, why are we counting all these deaths as COVID does? Well, there's no way to do this smarter. And why are the PCR tests run this way? And what, what? Exactly. What about all the false positives? Right. Out there? We know. And, and that's why our bill specifically addresses the coronavirus vaccine. Yeah. You know, we're not saying you can't give flu vaccines. You can't give MMRs. Can't. No, this is a bill that specifically gives people the choice about a specific vaccination. So you mean it's narrowly tailored to the end you want to? Are you sure you're a politician? Because I feel like you're not doing it just right. I feel you'd be way more broad. Well, we're, we we try hard, that's for sure. So I'm going to let you go here, but I want to make sure that we didn't miss anything or if there's something else you want to elaborate on or uh, anything you want to leave the folks with here. Uh, I really appreciate the information and you're stopping by. I think it's been pretty informative. Uh, anything we miss? No, no. I just want to make sure. Uh, look, my advice, and I see how the sausage is made in Albany, okay, and stay vigilant, stay informed. Don't cut your legislators a bit of slack. Hold them accountable. Uh, if they, if you disagree with them, let them know. If you agree, then let them know, because I'm no good without the people that I represent. Excellent. My county executive hates me. So on that note, I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> Assemblyman Selka. I appreciate your time and your information. And uh, I don't think this will be the first time that we have you in here to uh, have some discussions. So I'm glad thank you to again. come back, guys. Awesome. Anytime. Thank, you very much. Anytime. thank you again. Thank you. 
All right. Well, I do want to thank Assemblyman John Selka for uh, coming into studio for that interview, and we will see you all again next Monday.